Happy New Year. Hope everybody had a good New Year and good time with friends and family or whatever you did over the holidays. Um, I, I get the privilege to kind of launch us off this year in, in our year of equip. And what we mean by that is we want to spend this year focusing on how God has equipped us and called us to do the work um, that he, he desires for us, the ministry that he's called us to. And so um, we're going to talk about that in a bunch of different perspectives, different ways of looking at that. But we thought before we jump into that, it'd be really important for us to start with a series on what's the goal? What's the end game? What is this Christian life really all about? And we are using the kind of a sports analogy for that, kind of the idea of what's the objective of the game? You know, it's funny, I grew up in a family that wasn't super sportsy, right? Uh, in fact, we didn't even own a TV. I don't remember watching or talking a lot about sports. Um, and the only time we ever watched sports was if the Portland Trailblazers, I'm from Oregon, if they were doing well, my parents would go down to the video store and rent a TV. You used to be able to do that back in the day. They would rent a TV and we'd bring it home to watch whatever, uh, you know, whatever game or something was on. Uh, but other than that, we didn't watch a lot of sports. I don't remember watching a football game until I was probably uh, maybe even an adult or at least a teenager. But I was a chunky kid, and chunky kids growing up in Oregon, there's a certain assumption, right? And that's that you're going to play football, American football. And so from the time I was a little kid kind of waddling around, people go, oh, are you going to be a football player when you grow up? Oh, you look like a football player, right? You kind of understand how that would go. And so in sixth grade, uh, the junior high football coach came over to our elementary school and said, hey, uh, we could use a couple more kids on the team. Anybody want to come play football? And I was like, well, of course I do. That's, I'm a chunky kid. That's what I'm made to do, right? So I remember I go out to the field and the coach goes, okay, Nate, what position do you play? I'm like, well, I don't know. What does that mean, <laughs> right? He's like, again, you're a chunky kid. Why don't we put you on the line? We'll make you a center. I was like, okay, good. Go over and practice with them. And I just, I remember even going over there in the first like day, the quarterback comes up behind me. I'm like, hey, where are you putting your hands, right? If you don't know football, you don't get that. But um, <laughs> I just remember being totally lost. And, and so they st- start teaching me the, the plays and the skills and, and the job of my position. But I never really understood the overall objective of the game. I mean, I knew you tried to get it in the end zone, but how you did it and what the strategies were and why you kicked it and threw and ran and all those different things was totally lost to me. And so for that first year, uh, I remember getting yelled at. I'd come off the field and the coach would be like, Glaze, what are you thinking out there? Why were you doing that? And I'd be just like, no idea. <laughs> you know, and the same thing, they would, I'd come off the field and they'd be like, good job, Glaze, way to do it, nice. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Glad I did one right, you know, and And yet, I think sometimes that's how we approach our Christian life. We've come to faith in Jesus, and we're so overwhelmed by just the joy of our salvation, the fact that our sins have been forgiven, and immediately we go, okay, now what do I do? How do I do this Christian life? And we start going through the steps, the skills needed. Okay, you gotta start reading your Bible. You gotta start praying. You gotta get into a small group. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. And all those things are great, and we get involved in those different things. But every once in a while, I think we need to take a break, and we need to step back and say, yeah, but what is the point of this game? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? What is it that this is all about? And we're gonna look at a passage in uh, 2 Timothy today. And I catch the vibe just from reading this that Timothy was somebody who needed to be reminded about what the end game was. 
He'd been a Christian for a while. He'd been serving the Lord for a while. And yet he was kind of getting to this place maybe where he was starting to be a little bit timid. He wasn't, wasn't approaching his ministry, his calling with the same passion and excitement and zeal that he once had. And so Paul writes this letter and it really, I think, stands as kind of almost a half game talk for all of us. It's this reminder of the game that we're in, the life that we've been called to, and the great joy and the honor that we get to serve and be part of it. So as we read this today, um, if you have been a Christian for a while, and maybe you can kind of relate to that, that you need to be reminded of the end game, let this be like a halftime talk to you. Let this kind of pump you up a little bit. So let's read it together. And we're going to start in verse 6. Right before this, Paul has just been reminding Timothy, saying, Timothy, remember this, this faith has been passed down to you from your grandma and now down to you through your mom. And, and then in verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gives us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoners, but share in the suffering For the gospel, by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our work, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gives us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do, and I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound word which you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. See, what an encouraging thing this is, is Paul is, is telling us, This is the end game. Look at what God has been doing in the world. Look at what God has done since before time and is continuing to do. And now through Jesus, we see it manifested. In other words, this thing that God was doing behind the scenes that we didn't fully see, now we can see it and it is salvation. It is God bringing immortality to light. This is the point. This is what gets us up as Christians in the morning. This, is, this story of what God is doing, I think, is both our example, it's what we are, are to follow, to live our life, but it's also what motivates us. It's what, what gets us excited. It's the work of God. It's his glory. And, and what I see here is that the objective of this game, the objective of the Christian life, is that God is glorified by bringing salvation to his people. See, I think this is an important thing for us to, get, to be reminded of because so often in the Christian life, the focus can become on us. Right, The goal of being a Christian is being a good person, is going to church, is being nice, is being kind, is learning more, is being this or being that. And what we see here is that the goal of the Christian work, the Christian walk, is actually the glory of God. It's about his plan. It's about the work that he's done, not about the things that you and I do. It's about him bringing salvation to his people. And I think Paul wants to remind us of that here because if we put the focus on ourselves, it's so much easier to start getting timid, right? It's to be overwhelmed by the task, to become fearful. And he says, look at what Jesus has done. And I was thinking through this. I was trying to think like within the game illustration, is Jesus, uh, is he like the star player that every once in a while passes the ball to us so that we can make an assist or we can shoot a shot? 
Or is he like the great coach that sits on the sideline, doesn't really get involved in the game, but has this great strategy and can make the most out of his team? And I think both of those fall way short, that we worship a God who is deeply involved in his work, that he's not just standing back, standing on the sidelines, kind of orchestrating, that he's involved in the life. He is bringing salvation to his people. Yet on the same way, he's got this incredible strategy, this plan for you and I, his church, what Paul here calls a holy calling. He's got a job for us to do. See, if the the end game is God being glorified by people being saved, then our job in that is to be influenced by Jesus and to influence others to him. That, That if him, people being saved brings God glory, then us influencing other people to this great story and power of what God is doing, that is the goal, that is the end game, the objective of this life. And I think we need to hear this. Because it's tiring, right? I think this is a little bit like God saying, okay, team, I know you guys are tired. I know it's hard. Just life in general can be difficult. It can, it can beat you down. You are suffering. But check out what I'm doing. Look at, we are winning this fight. This is, this is an amazing. And you get to be a part of this. You get to be on this team. And I think that gives context to our life. That gives us excitement and motivation. And we're going to talk a little bit about what our role is in this game. But I think first I want to just say, talk a little bit about kind of our motivation behind serving God. What's our motivation to even wanting to play this game? And I think Paul gives us a couple of things here, kind of, kind of a pregame pep talk, if you will. And the first thing here that we see in verse 6 is be bold, fan the flame. In verse 6, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. When Timothy, he, he came to, to faith, right, or he, he kind of got involved in the ministry, he was an incredibly passionate guy. He was so excited about what God was allowing him to do, the holy calling that he had in his life. In fact, in, in um, the book of Acts, you see that, that he's going to join up with Paul. They're going to go around and start this, this mission together. And um, they want to be an influence to Jewish people. And so as an adult, Timothy goes, well, I guess I should get circumcised so that I can be an influence to the Jewish people as part of their culture. So as an adult, he does it. To me, that is commitment. That is passion, right? That is, I can't imagine that. And that's, that's the commitment he has, the excitement he has. Yet now we read, kind of at the midpoint maybe in his ministry, maybe towards the end of his ministry, Paul's saying, hey, you've been given the gift of power and of love and of self-control, not of fear. Don't be ashamed, and we've all experienced that, right? We've, when we came to faith, we came with this emotion and this excitement and this passion. And then life goes on and that starts to kind of dwindle a little bit. We start to lose that fire, if you will. And it's important to remember that, that we can't do anything to, to gain more gifts from God, right? The goal of this is not to have God give us more spiritual gifts. But on the same token, God has given us these spiritual gifts and he's calling us to fan into flame, to give it oxygen, let it breathe, Growing up, we did a lot of camping. And again, being in Oregon, a lot of Oregon stories today. Anyway, um, trying to keep a fire going in the wet, temperate rainforest of Oregon can be a little bit tricky, right? Everything's wet, and it's just kind of cold and damp. And if you get a fire going, and it doesn't matter how big that fire is raging, it could be this massive, big bonfire. If you walk away from that thing from like five minutes, it begins to just kind of smoke, 
And it, it doesn't put off much heat anymore. All it does is just puts a bunch of smoke in your face, right? And you got to continue to feed it. You got to give it more wood. You got to fan it. You got to keep it alive. And the same thing is true with our spiritual life, that if we just sit on our spiritual life, if we're just like, man, I'm really great. It's great. I'm a follower of Jesus. Awesome. I'm just going to kind of put it over there and just go on with my life. It begins to smoke. It doesn't have that same passion and excitement. And so I think we need to fan it into flame. We need to be excited about what Jesus is doing and has done. That's what Paul then goes on to do. He says, look at all the things that Jesus has done. This is why I'm not ashamed. This is why I'm not timid. This is why I face suffering because look at what God has done since the beginning of time and is continuing to do. We are right here in the heart of this. This is the life we get to live. This is the calling we get to participate in. And I think one of the best ways to fan the flame is to be a worshiper of God, to be overwhelmed with what God has done, to be excited about him, to be excited about the calling that we get to be a part of. See, I don't think fanning into flame is necessarily a checklist. It's not something that we can get up in the morning and, and kind of go, okay, to do that, I got to do this, this, and this. It's more emotional state. It's, it's an encouragement. It's the uh, kind of the excitement that we have in our life. Um, and, and I think another thing that's important on this is just to remember that sometimes it's easy to kind of look at other people's lives and kind of feel like, okay, if I fan into flame, kind of, I need to look a little bit like Ron. If I can look like Ron, that's kind of the goal here. And in fact, uh, Paul goes on, he says, man, I've been given this holy calling to be an apostle, a teacher, a preacher. And sometimes it can be easy to go, okay, well, he's kind of calling us all to those sets of gifts that we need to try to look like that. And maybe even for Timothy, he felt that. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think what he's talking about here is allow your life to be so excited about what God's doing in your life that these gifts that he's given you, that you, you pour them out of your life. See, the beauty of the calling that you and I have is that God, I believe, has gifted us and given us everything we need to do the ministry and the life that he's called us to. If we are called to be influencers, influencers of people, God has given us everything we need to have those conversations. But we need to fan that into flame. We need to, to give it oxygen, to let it breathe. But Paul also kind of tempers this a little bit, right? He doesn't just say, hey, everything's going to be great. Fan this into flame and life is going to be perfect. I mean, how many times in here does he talk about suffering? Over and over again. In fact, I think for us as a Christian, we should expect suffering. That this goes hand in hand with our Christian walk. Our very model of life is Jesus. God who became man and suffered greatly for us. So why would we think that the Christian life could be anything that, that wouldn't contain that? Now, I don't think that that means that, that being a Christian means that we can't have any excitement or fun or joy or pleasure in our life. And I think those, those things are definitely part of the Christian life. But suffering is also a part of it. Maybe that suffering is just the busyness that our calendar I mean, I think we've all experienced that. If you've been involved in ministry, if you start to serve, if you start to get involved pretty soon, you don't have as much free time anymore. There's just days that you wish you could just lay on the couch and not do anything after a long day of work. And instead, you go down to serve in the children's ministry or to do this or to do that. And, and that, is, that is legitimate suffering. But suffering, I think, can also take all kinds of other forms. We see around the world and even here where suffering can come in the form of persecution and pain. Maybe it's alienation from your friends or family. And all this is part of the Christian life. I know for me, 
um, one way that I've really experienced suffering um, is maybe when I pour my life into people, people I really care about, that I get involved in their life, and when they start to suffer, I experience that suffering with them, right? I, one of the things I, I love getting to do is I lead this Bible study on Thursday afternoons um, downtown, kind of at Compassion Network. And most of the people in the Bible study are um, homeless and struggle with mental health issues, drug and alcohol abuse. And there was this guy that was coming to our group. And I was so excited for this guy. He came from Mission San Jose High School as a graduate from there um, in his maybe late 30s. Um, but for the last like 15 years has been addicted to heroin. And he was struggling, but he was clean and sober. And he was so excited about what God was doing in his life. God was, was actively changing his life on a daily basis. And talking to him was so encouraging. And he was being an influence in the entire homeless community in Fremont. And, and I, I really poured my heart and my life into this guy. And then he kind of, I quit seeing him around. And I started asking people, hey, do you guys know what happened to him? And nobody knew kind of where he had been. And a couple of weeks ago, he shows back up. And he was totally strung out on heroin. And my heart broke for him. I, I cared about this guy. And to see him suffering and struggling, it, it broke my heart. And, and part of the Christian life is if we were to take this holy calling, if we were to be influencers of other people, that means we pour our lives into people. And when they struggle and when they suffer, we suffer with them and we struggle with them. It's so much easier just to put up our boundaries and say, this is my life and my family, and I'll care about you if you're in my bubble, but outside of my bubble, you're kind of on your own. But when we get involved in people's lives, when our faith begins to rub off on each other, it, it, it changes the way we see things, and we should expect suffering. But this suffering, it doesn't knock us back. In fact, this suffering propels us forward. It's the very calling we've been called to. It's what we're committed to, yet we know that in comparison to this great joy that we get to be a part of, the great plan that God is doing, that we can have great confidence because we know who we believe in. And we believe in Jesus, who Paul said is able to guard me until the day that, um, <clears throat> that has been entrusted to me. That we have this confidence knowing that even our suffering has context. So how do we play our position? What if the goal of the game is God receiving glory? What is it God has called us to? And the first thing we've got down here is that we need to influence others to Jesus. In verse eight, he tells Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In other words, Timothy, share your faith boldly. Tell people about Jesus who's transformed your life. Influence other people to Jesus. And one question I, I kind of had as I was thinking through this is, who is this that we're supposed to be giving testimony to? Sometimes in the Christian um, kind of circles, we think of this as like giving testimony or being a witness as just evangelism, that we as Christians to be um, a witness to people outside the church. And absolutely, I think that's what Paul is talking about here. But I also think Paul is talking about us being a witness, giving testimony to each other. That part of the Christian walk is that we need to be rubbing off on each other. In the same way that you are influencing me to follow Jesus more, I should be influencing you to follow Jesus more. And even with those in our community, within our neighborhoods, I should be influencing my neighbors to follow Jesus. I should be influencing those who I work with. That that is part of the Christian walk. That is this holy calling that we've been given. is to influence people to Jesus so that God receives the most glory. And if we miss that, if we just focus on our internal stuff, if we just focus on being a better Christian, I think we miss the point. 
It'd be like kind of imagine a, a soccer player that spends hours and hours in his backyard practicing his footwork and, and dribbling the ball and is just an expert at, at footwork, right? And it's the big game. The score is tied. There's just seconds left in the game. And they pass the ball to this guy. And there's a wide open shot on the goal. And he just spins, just runs out the clock, just dribbling the ball, just showing off his fancy footwork. You'd be pulling your hair out as a fan, right? You'd be screaming at him going, what are you doing? You're missing the point of the game. And I think when we as Christians, when we don't, aren't influencers for each other, when we're not influencing our community, it's like we're just playing soccer with ourselves. Well, it's fun. It might be nice, but we're missing the very point of what God has called us to. But one thing I love about this is influencing people to Jesus, I think is it takes a lot of the, the weight off of ourselves. See, Paul over and over again talks about how this was God's plan. It was God's work. It was what he was doing, that he is bringing people to himself. That us influencing each other to Jesus is not me manipulating you. It's not me changing you. It's not me shaping you. That's God's plan. My goal, my job is just to influence you to him. That we aren't going to mess up his plan. That he's got this plan and he is going to work it out in the world. And all we have to do is say, dude, check out this Jesus I follow. Check out what he's done in my life. Could this be true? Could what he says in the Bible be true? Could it be true that all of us are broken and sinful people and that the God of the Bible sent his son to take away the sins, our sins? Could that be true? If it is, let's follow that together. And that's part of this being an influence on each other. And again, this is talking about evangelism. This is talking about being an influence in our community But this is also talking about just the way we do church together, that we should be influencing each other. That's why we're part of small groups. It's not because you're going to gain some nugget of knowledge in a small group that you couldn't pick up in a book or on the Internet. It's because we need each other to encourage each other, to shape each other, to influence each other. That's why we need you and me to be involved in our children's ministry. We need godly children's ministry workers to shepherd those kids, to influence those kids, teen and Workers with the the youth ministry. That's what God has called us to. That's this holy calling that we're a part of. There's another thing I think that I see in this passage as part of our role, the way we play our position. And that's that we are to be influenced by Jesus, right? He calls Timothy to follow the pattern of sound doctrine, to, to guard the good deposit. In other words, We don't want to be a church that's just about influencing other people, but we aren't also being influenced ourselves. That would be a little bit hypocritical and arrogant, wouldn't it? If our goal is just to influence other people to Jesus, but we think we somehow got it. He's telling Timothy, he's saying, follow this pattern that you've been given, that you have been shown the good news of who Jesus is. You have learned this doctrine, this beliefs about who he is. Hold on to that. These are important. Cherish them, discover them, dive deeper into them. He's talking here about, uh, about doctrine, about orthodoxies, about having the right belief about God, saying this has been passed on to you. Hold on to these, learn from these, dive under, deepen your understanding. I think it's also talking about what sometimes is called like orthopraxy or right belief about how to act in relation to God or how, how to act on our beliefs. What kind of things should this cause in our life? Because we need each other to point out 
the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world, right? Because the culture of our world wants to influence us and we need to be influenced by Jesus, not what's all around us, not by these ideas. Um, In fact, I need people to influence me just about my own selfishness, right? About my own just simplicity of life. Um, A couple years ago, I was going through the ordination process here with the EFCA and I was doing it with Ken Jung and I were doing it at the same time. And we would write like things on our doctrinal beliefs and we'd present them to each other. And there was this one particular uh, doctrinal thing that I didn't really care that much about. I didn't really see how it had much impact on my ministry or my life. And so I wrote up this thing that was pretty shallow, right? And I kind of presented it over to Ken. And Ken just starts asking me questions. He goes, well, Nate, if you believe this, then what does that mean for this? And what do you really believe about this? You didn't address this. And if you think this, then this. And it started to show that I just had this thin veneer of belief that needed to go deeper. I needed to fully see how God was working in our world and was working in my life. And I think that's being, that's following this pattern of sound teaching. That, that we need to hold on to this. We need to be deeply influenced by Jesus, that we're never done learning, that the Christian walk isn't just something that we, we get and that we're done with. And it's something that we do in community, right? That, that it's not a solitary pursuit. That I can't just go read a theology book and know everything I need to know about following Jesus. It's something that I have to do within the context of other people, that I have to be influenced by the community of God, this, this sound teaching. I love the idea of guarding the good deposit. It's a kind of a cool word picture, isn't it? That, that this truth of Jesus is like this deposit that we've given, this investment. We need to care for it. And also we need to give it away that it's, it's a part of what we pass on from generation to generation. Um, a couple of years ago, my grandfather, before he died, gave me this like silver dollar, right? And it was made out of real silver and I don't know how much it was worth, but it was worth more than a buck. Probably not a lot of money, but, you know, maybe 20 bucks or something. And I was cleaning off my count, my dresser one day, and my five-year-old saw it. She goes, oh, Dad, that's cool. Can I have it? Sure, you can have it. It's from your grandpa. How cool is that? You can keep it. And she didn't understand the the value of this, right? And um, a couple days later, we had some people over at our house, and somebody picks this coin up off the ground in the kitchen. They go, wow, this is cool. This is a real silver dollar. So I took it, and I... I put it away and I figure someday later I'll give it back to her, right? When she understands the value of this. And I think sometimes we can do that with our, our faith, right? We've given, been given this faith. We've been given this knowledge and this belief of Jesus. And we need to, to, to hold on to it, to, to deeply pursue it, to value it. Because it's such a beautiful deposit that's been given to us. And we need to give it away. It's not just for us. In fact, the more we give it away, the more we have. The more I influence others to follow Jesus, the more I am influenced to follow Jesus myself. It's this beautiful cycle that just keeps going and and creates depth in my spiritual life. So let's get real practical here. We've talked kind of about this um, a little bit uh, kind of nebulously about being influencing people for Jesus and being influenced by him. But we just thought it'd be helpful to kind of come up with some Um, kind of categories and ways that we want to be influenced by Jesus. And again, these aren't, um, we might not have the order exactly right. You might see it a little bit different, but it's just a way for us to think about, okay, how are we being influenced by Jesus and how can we influence others for Jesus kind of in some specific areas? And the first thing is to know him. See, following Jesus 
There's this element that we can discover him, that we can learn about him, that the more we know about him, the more he influences our life. And maybe that's as simple as us just introducing our neighbors or our friends and family to him. Hey, let me tell you about the Jesus I serve. Or let me tell you about what God is doing in my life. Maybe that's being in our small group saying, look at what God did in my life. Look at what God taught me this week. It's helping us know him better, discovering more about him. But we don't want to just know more about Jesus. The, the Christian faith isn't just a pursuit of knowledge. The Christian faith requires a commitment, right? And so we want to learn to trust him more also. That the more we learn about Jesus, the more we discover about him, at some point it begs the question, if this is true, am I willing to commit my life to it? If Jesus died on the cross for my sins, will I commit my life to following him? If Jesus has called me to a life of purity, will I commit to that? If Jesus has called me to love my family, will I commit to that? If Jesus has called me to worship him, will I commit to that? And so there's this place where we don't want to just continue to know and to acquire more knowledge. That we want to commit and we want to call our friends, our family, those who are influencing to commit to him also. I remember when I was dating my wife, um, we were young, we were like 20 years old and our we were excited and passionate and all that. So our dating relationship went like on a trajectory like this, right? It was like, it just picked up really quick. And I remember uh, just about six months into our relationship going, okay, we got a choice here to make. One, we can either get married or we can break up because we can't just continue on this trend. There, there has to be a, an element of commitment to it. We've got to take the next step in our relationship. And uh, for And I think the same thing happens with our Christian walk, that the more we learn about Jesus, the more we understand about him, at some point, we've got to make that commitment. And we want to call our friends, our family, those who are influencing, those in our small groups, those in our lives, to make that commitment also to trust him. But then also, there's another thing here that I think is really beautiful about the Christian faith, and that's this emotional element that's connected to it. That knowing Jesus, that committing to him, also requires and it develops this love for him. It's really hard to look at the Bible and to know that Jesus loves us, that he gave his life for us, and not be called to reciprocate that love for him. But this is also something that we actively pursue in our life that we want to be influenced by. That the more we know, do we we use that to love him deeply, to connect emotionally with the truths of scripture? Is it just an academic pursuit or is it something that that has our attention, our interests, our desires, our our emotions? Do we love him back? And then the last step here, or the last kind of piece, I guess is probably a better way to say it, is to follow him. And again, we can know him, we can kind of commit to him, we can love him, but are we willing to obey him? And that's sometimes where the rubber meets the road, right? Are we willing to to follow him, to follow him in suffering, to follow him in the holy calling that he's given us to be an influencer of people and to be influenced by him? Are we we willing to obey him in that step? And at some point, we can't just acquire more knowledge. We can't just make more commitments. We've got to take those steps of obedience. And the same thing with people in our lives. We want to be encouraging each other to follow Jesus. One of the things I love about being part of a small group is is we kind of ask questions of each other sometimes that that kind of beg the question, okay, you know this. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be obedient in your life? It seems like this is what God's calling you to. Are you going to actually do that? 
in your life. And we need to be influencing each other to do that. We need to be influencing our community, our world. And I think these things are cyclical, right? Like the more we know Jesus, the more we can commit to him, the more we can love him, the more we follow him, the more we follow him, the more we know about him. And they just continue on and on and on in our life. And we'll continue on in the lives of those that we're having an influence in. So we're going to spend the next year um, kind of talking about this, what we kind of sometimes call discipleship, discipling each other. We're going to talk about it in this series. We're going to get real practical. We're going to say, okay, who are the 8 to 15 people that that God has called you to be an influence in their life? And we're going to be talking about them by name. We're going to be talking about the environments that we should be influences in. Then we're going to have other series. We're going to talk about how do we influence our kids? How do we be a parent that disciples our kids? How did Jesus influence people? How did Jesus disciple people? How should we be discipling people? And we're going to be diving through this. We're going to spend a year getting really in depth on this. But maybe the question that we should ask today is, who is God calling us to be an influence in in their life? Who are we influencing? And who's influencing us? And I'd be willing to bet a lot of us, if we're honest, um, there's not a lot of names that come to, to mind on either side of that. So maybe as we pray, maybe just kind of be spending some time with God saying, God, who am I influencing to Jesus? Like, am I really influencing them to Jesus? And who is influencing me to love, to know, to trust, to follow you more? Let's pray. God, you are um, worthy of all the glory. We think about all you've done and and what it is you've called us to. And it's so small in comparison to to what you've already done and what you are continuing to do. God, let us um, learn to love you and trust you more. Let us be influencers uh, of our community. Let Fremont be a place that gives you glory, that you are famous, that this is a town that is known as being a worshiper of you. So God, I just pray that you speak into our hearts as we continue to sing and to worship you. Remind us of the truth you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.